this Advent time, we remember Mary and Joseph, giving thanks for their faithfulness, courage, and obedience, stepping out into the unknown in the strength of your spirit, playing their part in the fulfillment of your plan to bring hope to your prodigal people and to bring them home again. We pray that their example might be the pattern of our lives, that when your gentle whisper breaks through the clamor of this world and into our small corner, we might be ready to listen. And having listened to act, in this season of expectation, we prepare to welcome Christ Jesus Messiah into the bustle of our lives and the hard to find moments of solitude. We prepare to welcome Christ Jesus Messiah into our homes and situations along with friends and family. We prepare to welcome Christ Jesus Messiah into our hearts and those often hidden parts of our lives. We prepare to welcome Christ Jesus Messiah for beneath the surface of your story is an inescapable fact. You entered this world as vulnerable as any one of us in order to nail that vulnerability to the cross. Our fears, our insecurities, and our sins, all that can separate us from God, exchanged by your grace for love, we cannot comprehend the reasoning, only marvel that salvation comes to us through a baby born in a stable and reaches out into a world in need. In this season of anticipation, we prepare to welcome Christ Jesus Messiah. As streets fill with shoppers, bright lights and tempting offers, Christmas songs and children laughter, you lead us along a different path to a desert river and a prophetic voice, a call to repentance, a call to service, a call to immerse ourselves in living water that will never run dry, a call to prepare a way in our own lives for the Savior of the world to enter in, to know the touch of tender mercy and rest in your forgiving love for your faithful prophets and your living word. We give you thanks. Amen. 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 This is a safe place no matter what your story has been. Uh, this room is filled with people that have overcome addiction, incarceration, and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And if you've ever wondered if God exists, talk to some of the people sitting next to you. You'll find out real quick that there is a God and there is still light in a world that's dark. And so, Friends Church, we're glad you're here. A couple quick announcements uh, today. We're doing the wrapping party next week. It's like a rap battle. No. Thank you, too. You caught that. Thank you. Appreciate that. Man, you guys are killing me today. Uh, well, yeah, we're doing the wrapping party today. It's not a rap battle. We're, rap, uh, we're wrapping Christmas presents. We sponsored, gosh, I don't even know what the total amount is, but I think it's somewhere around 100, at least 100 uh, kids that have a parent incarcerated this uh, Christmas. We're buying them presents, and we're going to be delivering those presents. And so we encourage you, man, come out on next Sunday. We'll, what we'll probably do, we'll make the service uh, a little shorter. Some of you guys are like, praise the Lord, this dude talks too long, right? Cool, let's pray and we'll jump right into this. Jesus, thank you for the story of Hanukkah, man. This is, this is some interesting stuff. And God, I thank you for the insight that you've given me to share this morning. Would you illuminate your word? Would you illuminate the scriptures? Uh, would you touch my voice and speak something deep and powerful into us this morning? In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen, amen. Some of you guys know that we're here last week. We're celebrating the week of Advent. The week of Advent is basically, it's an ancient tra uh, tradition that the church has done uh, for a very long time. And it's basically the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And that's what these four candles are sim symbolizing. Uh, today, we're on the second week of Advent. And that second candle that's lit, the first one uh, represented hope. And this second candle represents uh, love. It represents love. 
And as I was putting together this Advent, this four-week uh, sermon series, I thought, man, there's no way. There's no way we could get into this stuff without touching on the story of Hanukkah. Some of you guys uh, may be familiar with the story of Hanukkah. I wasn't for many years of my life. And I'll tell you, after I became a Christian and started following Jesus, I'll tell you something. When you understand the world that Jesus came from and you understand, like, what, the, what his city was like and what his traditions were like, like, it, it makes everything come alive. It's amazing. It's amazing. So I remember the first time I heard about Hanukkah, I'm like, man, this is some, like, street rebel stuff. Like, I like this, you know? Like, these dudes started a riot. Like, hey, this is game on, man. That's right up my lane, you know? We're not going to start a riot here this morning. Relax. Uh, but, yeah, it's a really interesting story. So I'm going to start with the story of Hanukkah. And Jesus himself celebrated Hanukkah. And what does all this have to do with why we're here this morning? What does it have to do with why we're doing here while we're here this morning. I've got the little baby menorah, the little Fisher-Price version up here, this little goofy thing. Man, I go to Hobby Lobby. Hey, how you doing? Good morning. I thought, you know, I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a menorah. I had this great big idea. I'm gonna get a nice big one. You can see everything. They're like, yeah, we got one left. It's kind of small. I'm thinking, now, it's probably about this big. I go there, they show me this little thing. It's not plastic. It looks like it. There's like birthday candles that come with it. Anyhow, it's all symbolism, right? It's all good. Uh, but yeah, that's the, that's the candlestick of Hanukkah. There's eight uh, candles, and we'll get into the meaning of that in a moment. But I want to tell this story. I want to tell the story of Hanukkah. What is Hanukkah? Now, for 400 years before ever Jesus, for, before Jesus walked the earth, uh, the last book of the Bible uh, was written, and there was a 400-year break between what we know as the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it was this time where it felt like everything was silent, like the prophets weren't given prophecies, like, like it's like the world had gone dark. Has anybody been there? You ever feel like the world has gone dark? Like that's a, a period of time that they were going through. And at the, at the very end of this time, as they were coming to the end of this time, this real interesting thing happened. And this is the story of Hanukkah. I'm not, and I'm just gonna read it to you here. It was the second century BC and the Jews were being oppressed by, the, by a foreign army. For 400 years, the prophets' mouths were closed. 400 long years, there was hopelessness and despair. The love of many had grown cold. Now, in the year between 222 and 186 BC, there was this king. Now, I'm not going to give you a history lesson, but I promise you this has everything to do with 2018 Butler County, Hamilton. Just follow me. Just follow me. There was this king, his name was King Antiochus. And King Antiochus, like he was one of those dudes that would come in and like they're taking everything. They want the land, they want your women, you know what I mean? Give me your house, I want it all. Thank God that doesn't happen anymore, right? Wink, wink. Uh, but anyhow, King Antiochus, he came in, he waged war with the king of Egypt to basically take over Jerusalem, right? And so he fought the king of Egypt. He's like, I want Jerusalem, I want it all, give me, give me, give me, give me. Ate it all up, took it all, took possession of Israel. And with his victory, Israel, which was the land of the Jews, it became part of his uh, territory. Now, Israel, if you know anything about the Bible, that's where Jesus came from. That's where this whole Christian thing started, right? This is where it all, and this happened uh, not long before Jesus walked this earth. And so with, with his victory, Israel became part of his empire. And after his victory, and this is the, this is the crazy thing about this story. The Jews, just like you and I, they had their culture, they had their religion, they had their customs, they had their ways they got married, they had, uh, you know, they circumcised their kids, they had all these religious practices and these social practices that defined them as Jewish. And when King Antiochus came in and he overthrew uh, Jerusalem and he took it over, his first step was he wanted to take away everything that made them distinctly Jewish. Listen to what he did. 
He goes in and he overthrows the temple of God. Reading the scriptures, he outlaws it. Any Jewish woman who is engaged to be married is forced to have sex with one of his soldiers, right? So this is the type of guy he was. Circumcision, which again was a Jewish custom, was outlawed during that time for Jews. And if you were caught doing it, like you, your kid would be killed, your baby would be killed, and you would be killed. Outside Jerusalem, and this is where, this is where it gets, gets interesting, there was this old priest, his name was Mattathias, and they come to Mattathias and they say, hey Mattathias, we want you to sacrifice this, 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 uh, this animal to a foreign god inside the temple. And Mattathias, I just imagine like this old Jewish gangster, long beard, you know what I mean? He's like, no way, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Frail guy, you know, they could have they beat him down, beat him up. Mattathias sees all this stuff happen. This old guy, you think his story's over. Let me tell you something. No matter what your age is in this room, if you feel like you're getting a little, little older in this idea, I'm not in my prime anymore, man. Don't buy into that propaganda. That's not the way that Jesus looks at us. Let me tell you something. You are always in your prime. And as long as you're alive, as long as you're breathing, like you have something to give to this world, you got something to contribute to this world. So Mattathias, this old dude, you know, getting real old. Can't really fight, can't really defend himself. He says, no way, there's no way I will sacrifice a, 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 an animal to a foreign god. I'm, I'm just not doing it. I'm not doing it. And so he refuses. I will, he says, I will never sacrifice to a foreign god. I will never sacrifice. His refusal inspires others, and a small uprising begins among the Jewish people and his son, some of you guys have heard the story. Judah Maccabee and his brothers, they begin to band together with others and they start this revolt, right? And so this old dude's defiance, his, this old dude, like, you have no idea what your refusal to do, like, that can spark something. Like, your refusal to participate in things that are unjust, your refusal to speak out against things, and things uh, on your job site and things in your environment that you know aren't right, your refusal to participate in things you know are toxic, you have no idea what that could spark in the people around you. And so this uprising starts. Judah Maccabee, his brothers get together and say, man, this is it, man. I'm tired. I ain't, I ain't putting up with these soldiers anymore, right? And so they start to, they start to form together, and this, this re rebellion starts. They don't know what they're going to do yet. They don't know how they're going to do it, but they've had enough. King Antiochus, he hadn't had enough, you know. Not only did he take over the temple, not only did he try to take their Jewish identity, but he does what they call uh, historically the abomination of desolation. This has a future context in the book of Revelations as well, but this is where this whole thing came from. Uh, at one point, King Antiochus, he storms into the temple of God with his Greek army. This dude takes a pig and he slaughters a pig in the temple. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture and Jewish, uh, Jewish history, like pigs in their culture are considered unclean animals. Like, like if you just bring a pig to the steps of the outside, like they would have to do all this ceremonial cleansing to clean out the temple. Like, God forbid you bring that thing inside, but if you bring it in and you kill it, and the blood, I mean, it, it, this is like the most disrespectful, like, I don't know about you, but I grew up in the hood, and I remember growing up in the hood, there's a lot of things that were like disrespectful, uh, disrespectful, you know, street, uh, street rules, some of you guys know what I'm talking about, you know, the ultimate disrespect, I would say where I grew up, it was either like if somebody spit in your face, anybody grow up in the hood here, right, somebody spit in your face, or somebody like, as a man, if another man tried to slap you. Would you guys agree, man, right? That's a disrespectful thing. Not that women deserve to be slapped either. We're not, we're not that, those guys here either. But like, if, if somebody got like slapped, I remember, you know, fights in school when I was a kid, like if a kid got slapped, ooh, you know what I mean? Oh no, he didn't, you know? Or somebody spit on, it's just disgusting, it's foul. 
Just take that level of disrespect to like to a hundred. So King Antichias, he brings the pig in, he slaughters the pig. Listen to this, I'm not, this whole thing is gonna be graphic, I promise. Uh, he kills the, kid, uh, the pig, he sacrifices it on the altar to a false god. He rips out the entrails and the intestines, drags them through the temple. This dude's outfit, would you agree King Antichias was off his rocker, right? The dude was out of his mind, he was out of his mind. And so he kills the animal, drags the entrails through the temple, and just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, this guy takes the pig, they boil it, and they take the broth of that unclean animal, and they pour it on the scriptures of God, right in front of the Jews, right in front of the Jews. Utter desecration, utter desecration. So this uprising, this revolt up in the mountains, the people, they're tired, they've had enough, they're hearing all this, they say, that's it, that's it. Uh, we've had enough. Now you gotta understand, King Antiochus and this army, like this was a vast army. There was no way that this this small people group had any chance of fighting and resisting these people. And they, and they finally had enough and they said, you know what, even if we die, even if it costs us our lives, like we are going to refuse to allow them to take our identity. And my first question to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is this, what are you willing to fight for? What are you willing to fight for? What are you willing to put your life on the line for? What are you, what is the line, right, that you're refusing to allow darkness to cross? What is that line? What are you willing to fight for? And so this army, man, they come in, they, this small band of, of Jews, they come in and they storm the temple, man. They're outnumbered, they're outgunned, like there's no way this thing could go, but these dudes like, it's like Rage Against a Machine, like turn on the electric guitars, you know what I mean? Kick the beat, man, we're going in. It's ride or die. Here we go, here we go. So they rush the temple, they fight this army, and miraculously they defeat this army, this foreign army, this small group of people. But at that point, the temple had been completely desecrated. It had been destroyed. Like they couldn't even begin to regain uh, their, their, their customs because everything had been destroyed. So they had to go through this process. And you can read about this in the book of Leviticus if you're bored for like 17 hours. You have nothing better to do, just have at it. Uh, but yeah, no, it's all throughout the scriptures. But they had to go through this specific process to clean the temple. Not only did they have to clean up the rubble and the brick and the stone and the glass and everything that is shattered and how everything was busted up, but they had to cleanse it. And so after they cleansed this temple, the final step would have been to set up that menorah. Now, it wouldn't have been this little goofy little plastic thing here. Like, this is like first century artisans, you know what I mean? They're probably hand-making this stuff. And so they, they had to find the candlestick, and then they had to light the menorah. And the menorah was symbolic of God's presence. That flame was symbolic of God's presence. Those little cups. Now, these are candles. This wasn't how they had it. But at the top of this candlestick here... You would have these little cups, and these cups would be filled with oil, and there would be a wick that would come out of it. Now, that oil, it was made out of olive oil, and you, it wasn't like you just went to the local Italian restaurant, like, hey, give me some give me some olive oil, a little bit of garlic, you know what I mean? Like, there was a whole process that they had to get this oil. They had to press the oil. They had to do all this religious stuff, and it took about eight days to make that oil. And so they're digging through the, the rubble. They can't find any oil. They can't, light the, they can't light the menorah, and so they're frantically, hey, do you see? over there is it over there you guys see it in the back like it, it has to be uh and this and this oil was prepared by the high priest so it couldn't just be any oil so finally as the story of hanukkah goes they find one packet of oil there's enough for one day one day and so they, they find the oil and they and they 
and they light the oil. Now, this is this is the question I want to ask you uh, as well this morning. And oil, again, in that time, and even in the time of Jesus and throughout the scriptures, oil is symbolic of the presence and the spirit of God. And my question to you, and you don't have to answer me today, is how much of God's spirit do you have in you? Is there enough oil inside? Is there enough oil? So they finally... They finally have enough oil to light the candle. But the problem is there wasn't enough to fill all nine of those things to light. There was only enough for one day. And so history goes, they light the candle. Miraculously, man, this thing burns one enough for one candle. It burns for a whole entire eight days so they can make new oil. This is the, this is the miracle of Hanukkah. This is the story of the menorah that we know today. Like this is the world that Jesus steps into. And, and, and so the candle, the candle is lit and it miraculously burns for eight days. And, and I want you to know this morning that lighting a candle, it can be an act of defiance. It can be an act of defiance. What is the candle symbol of? Hope. Hope that just maybe they can restore the temple. And I want to ask you this morning, you guys, what is the part of your life where hope seems improbable? What is that space in your mind, in your heart, in your psyche, maybe your past, your history? What is that situation that seems entirely hopeless? I want you, I want to encourage you today to hold on to hope because you never know what God can do if you light the candle anyways. Lighting the candle, holding on to hope can be an act of defiance. I remember being incarcerated and being in solitary confinement after I'd heard about my brother being murdered and not knowing how much time I was going to how much time I was going to do. And I remember how prison, prison has a, a way of, of dehumanizing you. And I'll never sit here and tell you that, oh, poor me, and I should have never went to jail. I was a horrible kid. I was a, I was a, I was a criminal. I was a thug. Like, I deserved to be in that place. But prison has a way of dehumanizing you and taking, uh, taking your humanity away, taking your hope away. And I remember when I sat in solitary confinement and I had that experience with Jesus, I found hope. And my hope in that prison environment, it was an act of defiance. Because they could take my freedom, that those COs could disrespect me, they, they could use their authority to, to manipulate me and to abuse me, and, and I could live in this environment, but, but holding on to hope, it was an act of defiance. And so even though it was only enough oil for one day, it burned for eight days. It burned for eight days. Now the way this happens, so they light the candle, and in the candle, I'm going to have somebody come up, it doesn't matter who it is. There's a, there's, a, there's a candle, anybody, anybody, going once, going twice, doesn't matter. Thanks, brother, appreciate that. So there's a, there's a yellow candle here on the, on the thing here. It's sitting right, or I'm sorry, a yellow lighter. And then it, if you don't mind, just grab that candle off of there. That's the middle candle, the one sitting on the, yeah, sitting right on the table. He's got the middle candle. That middle candle is called the servant candle or the guardian candle. You just don't come up to a menorah and light them all and just, you know, blow torch, you know, Aquanet and a lighter, right? Some of you guys, you remember that? You light the first candle, and the, can the first candle is called, the. and I want you to remember this term, the guardian candle or the servant candle. So you could go ahead and light that. Just set it right in the middle there. I know those are like little cheap birthday type candles. Thanks, man. So that is called the servant candle. So you light that candle. It sits in the middle. It's called the servant or the guardian candle. In Jewish culture, this festival is also called the festival of lights. Now, in Herod's temple... 
after this happened, and this is when Jesus is walking the earth, after they had overthrown this army, after they had beat this army, they restored their culture, like the Jewish people celebrated, man, we got our temple back, like let's celebrate. And so they had this idea, they said, hey, that menorah we got, it's not big enough. And so what they did was they made, uh, they, they got all their iron workers together, they got all their tradesmen uh, together, and they said, let's make a menorah that's 75 feet tall. So they built two menorahs and they put them in the women's court. It was a part of the temple of that time. And they put them in the women's court and they were 75 feet tall. Now I want you to imagine this. Use your imagination. That little thing there. Imagine it's 75 feet tall. And those little cups at the bottom that held the oil, like these cups were so big that they held 10 gallons of oil each. So just imagine some of you guys have done construction. You've seen those five gallon pails. Imagine two of those. That's how big one of those cups was. There was nine of those cups, or I'm sorry, eight of those cups, right? And, and so they, it was, each one was filled with 10 gallons of oil. And listen to this. This is what I love. They needed a pretty big wick for that. Wouldn't you agree? This thing's 75 feet tall. Like It's probably taller than the outside of this building. You know what I mean? They made the wicks out of the pants of the high priests. That's how big this thing was. Like the wicks were, just imagine a candle so big, you have to use your pants as a wick. And so they liked this thing. And they said, they said that, yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, way bigger than that. That's, that's pretty sweet. I used to like fire as a kid. Any pyros here? I, hopefully you're not anymore. Uh, I was a pyro, man. I, I was the kid with the Aquanet and the hairspray, you know what I mean, and the lighter and all that stuff. Uh, man, I used to get in trouble. I used to get in trouble. I used to love fire. And so they, they create these massive menorahs, and they said that the light, it was so bright and so intense that it could be seen from every house in Jerusalem. So no matter where you live, if you live way up on the hill, whatever they call it, Hamilton, not even going to call it what, what they call it, uh, all the way on the west side, east side, no matter what community you're from, you could see the light of those menorahs. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it says, historically speaking, after they built those menorahs, they saying this, our ancestors have turned their backs on the temple of the Lord, but we will remember our God. These people were willing to fight to regain their identity, King Antiochus, this army of Hellenism. Now, that was a way of thinking in that time. It was sweeping through the land, and they refused to accept that. They wanted to erase all traces of their heritage, and these people refused to accept it. They refused to accept it. Now, to understand this and to understand kind of what's going on, I promise we're going somewhere with this, 2018 Hamilton, Ohio, your life today. Hellenism, this was a way of th thinking that was sweeping throughout the culture during that time. And Hellenism is this, it's this. It's when there's the focus on the human being, the human being in this way of thinking is the center of reality, the worship of self, it's, which stands in opposition to the Jewish belief that there's one true God. There was an obsession with the human form in, Hellen Hellen in uh, Hellenism, human sexuality. You see this in their statues. Some of you guys have seen those statues. You know what I mean? Those naked dudes all buff. You know what I mean? Uh, it's funny, man. Funny. They invented the theater, the Colosseum, the stadium. Some of you guys remember the movie Gladiator. The whole Roman world was influenced by Hellenism, right? And so this was the kind of stuff that they were trying to push on those people. There was a theater outside where Jesus walked this earth. That stuff would go on, right? So right outside of the temple, there was this theater. And inside that temple, there was violence, death, murder, drama. I mean, just every disturbing thing you can think of. Some of you guys have heard of the Colosseum in Rome, right? 
that's what they would do, man. They would have all this crazy stuff, right? That they would have matches where they would send out wild dogs in there to fight other animals, like packs of wild dogs. And some of you guys have seen Gladiator. Like that stuff really happened. They would put people down there that they didn't like, and they would make them fight each other to the death. You know, Nero, uh, not long after Jesus died, was another was another leader that would make human torches out of Christians. Like this was a very barbaric world, and they and they. They viewed it as entertainment. They would have chariot fights. I mean, different animals riding, uh, fighting each other. I'm so glad that we don't enjoy violent entertainment anymore. So glad. So glad we don't give our, we don't give our money to that anymore, right? Now, just imagine. Think about how a stadium is set up. You're in a huge stadium looking down on a human being who's the center of focus. Now, I'm not sitting here. I'm not sitting here uptight. You know, can't have any fun. Don't go to the, the Bengals game. You know, I almost said the Browns because I'm from Cleveland. You wouldn't want to go see them anyways. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, there's nothing wrong with going to a game, but that's where all this stuff comes from. That's where it comes from. Now, Jesus, in John chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to kind of bring it around here. They were celebrating Hanukkah just then in Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus was strolling in the temple across Solomon's porch. The Jews circling him said, how long are you going to keep us guessing? If you're the Messiah, tell us straight out. If you're the Messiah, tell us straight out. It's funny that, you know, Jesus, it says that Jesus was strolling. That's a message translation. He's just walking in there casually. And so they're asking him, hey, man, are you the one that we're waiting for? Are you the one, the light of the world that we've been waiting for? Are you the guardian candle that's going to light everybody else? Are you the servant that's going to light everybody else? And so the crazy thing about this Hellenism is this stuff has influenced like American culture more than anything we see today. And I'll just give you a couple few examples. This way of thinking has influenced America more than anything else. The violence, the worship of self, some of this stuff has even crept into churches where the human being, think about this, the human being becomes a center of focus. I like this kind of preacher. I like that kind of music. I want to be fed. You guys ever hear this stuff? Right? You're here to serve me. You're here to do this. I'm not gonna look, I'm not gonna sit here and say I've never fallen into some of that stuff, but man, God save us, man. Save us from selfish Christianity and from us being the point. Now, I want to tell you guys, and we tell you this all the time, there is no separation between whoever's up here and whoever's sitting in the chair. Can I just say that? We are all on a level playing field, whether we can preach a little bit or sing good, or somebody comes up here and prays with these flowery words. Like We're all on a level, save, uh, level playing field, and God save us from a Christianity that creates this hierarchy where, hey, if, I'm, if I could just be like that guy, then all of a sudden everything's going to open up. Like, and and that's, that's, that's part of the reason why sometimes I struggle with televangelism. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that all those people are bad. I know some of those people. I've hung out with some of those people. I've had meals with some of those people. Like, I've met some of them. There's Some of them are the most wonderful people you'll ever meet. They would lay down their lives for you. They got to that place because they've been faithful with what God has given them. But what, what that can unconsciously do if we're not careful is it becomes about all this hype. If I just have the right lights, if I just had the right promo and the right pictures and the right image. and You know what I mean? If everybody on the stage looks like they should be on American Idol or, or The Bachelorette or, yeah, come on, am I the only one that sees this, right? Let me make sure the greeters have had teeth whitening, you know? Like, seriously, like, come on. 
God save us from a Christianity where we are the point because I don't believe that Jesus just works through people who look a certain way or appear a certain way or can posture their way in a spiritual type of way. God is no more with them than he is with you. He's not. Nobody has an inside role with God. Let me just tell you that. Let me just tell you that. Is there people that have surrendered more of their lives to Jesus and God moves through them because they're not selfish? Absolutely. I'm trying to move myself in that direction. But none of us have an inside role to God over anybody else. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But I do want to say this. We are important. You are important and of utmost importance to God. You are special, so loved and desired that God would give him, himself, give his life on the cross. Does that mean you're not important? No. Does it mean I'm not important? No. Jesus loves us so much that he would be nailed to a cross and be executed for us. You have important, you have value, but we are not the center of the universe. I know that's a hard thing to come to terms with in America. America is not the center of the world. Can I tell you that? Can I just say that? America is not the center of the world. I thank God for America. I thank God I live here. I thank God for some of the freedoms we have. But God loves everybody. He loves everybody. And he doesn't have any favorites. And he doesn't have any, like, stepkids. You know what I mean? Can I just say that? Right? There's no, like, red. Why does it always got to be a redheaded stepchild? Right? I take offense to that. My beard gets red when it gets long. Why does it always got to be How can it be blonde hair or brown hair? Anyways, rabbit trail. God doesn't have any favorites, man. He doesn't have any favorites. And so he is the center of everything, not us. Can we say amen to that? He is the center, not us. And we're taught from the moment we're, we're children, man, in this country, like, like, we're, like we are the most important, especially, I love my kids, and, and I thank God they're, they're moving out of that type of thinking, but I'm telling you, like, kids are taught from the very time they're children that you are the center of the world. No, you're not. Like God is, like you are important and you're loved and you are valued, but you are not the center of the world. I think that's where a lot of our problems comes from is we, we've placed the wrong things in the wrong places. Colossians chapter one, verse 17 says this, for everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds his purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. You know, God is the center of it all. And if God if God were to retract himself from creation, we would all collapse into oblivion. Can I tell you that? Even our cells in our body and the blood flowing through our veins, God is in and through all of that. And if he were to retract himself from creation, we would all collapse into oblivion. He is life. And in him is the lie of men. Psalms chapter 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we will remember the name of our God. Now, historically speaking, back to Menorah, and I'm going to wrap up with this idea. The crazy thing was, these guys, they formed a, a revolution. They formed a rebellion. They got their temple back. They got their culture back. But you know what happens over time? The longer you're out of that, the longer you settle, the longer you get more comfortable. Come on, some of us, it's easy to forget where we came from. It's easy to forget what we fought ourselves to get out of, right? And the longer that they're out of it, they get numb and they get lazy. And it says, historically speaking, this same group that started this rebellion, they started to over time buy into the same type of culture they fought to resist. Now listen to this. History states that right next to the temple, they, these same guys that fought, they built a stadium and theater where nude athletics could be performed and appoint, they appointed themselves as high priests. I don't know about you, that's kind of funny. It's funny, but it's bizarre and sad. 
I don't want to see anybody play basketball naked. I'm sorry. I'm just good. I'm good. Can I go on a rant here? Anybody here go to a rec center, a gym? A couple of you. I don't understand why there always has to be the token guy. <laughs> yes. Amen. Right? You feel me, right? Are you the token guy? No. I'm teasing you, brother. <laughs> why? It, come on, guys. I know I'm not the only one. Why does there always got to be the token guy? Look, I've been to prison. I've showered with 40 other naked dudes. I've sat on a toilet. Pardon me, but I've sat on a toilet literally in front of 40 people and had to use the bathroom. Uh, but I'm not in prison anymore. I don't want to see, like, you naked. Like, you got in the shower. Like, dude, put your towel on. Like, nobody wants to look at it. Do we, Ethan? Funny, he was with me yesterday. All right, we're just shaking our heads. Why? Anyways, rabbit trail, naked, naked athletics. I don't want to see anybody play basketball naked. So these same guys that fought to resist this culture, they're the ones that end up building these temples. And, and I, love, I love this. They appointed themselves as high priests. You know there's a lot of people, they have a puffed up sense of self-entitlement, right? They've, they've appointed themselves. Uh, I always love the question when, when people ask me, and I think it's a well-meaning question, but I love the question when people ask me. It's usually uh, people that have been in certain type of religious traditions for a long time. They ask me, you know, they hear we started a church, we do this, we do that. So where did you go to Bible college? And uh, I just thought, I like to wait. I just like to pause, you know, I'll just wait. So, I said, actually, it was a place in Columbus uh, it was called Tico, and it was a juvenile prison, <laughs> and it was life, life, you know. Uh, and I'm not knocking that stuff, man. Look, I've, I've got, I, I do have some college and some, you know, study of that stuff, but, but like we place so much importance on this stuff. Like I just don't see that in the Bible. I don't see people being told, "Hey, did you go to Bible college for eight years before?" No, man, like these people were called out of the darkness into the light. They were discipled, right? And discipleship wasn't just going to a class at church. It was living your life with that person for the next whatever amount of time. And then you were sent out, man. So let me just tell you, as your pastor, your bishop, your priest, whatever you want to call it, like God is the one who qualifies you, not anybody else. Not anybody else. And I don't care how how uh, low you feel, how insignificant you feel, how, how you feel like, well, I just don't have that story. And, you know, my life is still a little messed up. Like, don't buy into the lie that your life has to be perfect or look like anybody else's for God to use you. Because that's a lie and that will keep you paralyzed and will hinder what God wants to do in your life. Don't fall for it, man. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. So they became the very thing that they hated. And this is what happened. I made a post to this a long time ago. It really went a little bit viral, got shared a lot. And it was this. It was a little like a picture that says, never forget where you came from. Never forget where you came from. And I want to just encourage you with this thought. And I don't. it doesn't mean you have to have some dramatic story. But those of us that have encountered Jesus, man, don't ever forget what your life was like before you connected with God. Because the moment you forget that, you'll start drifting away and you'll start buying into things you never thought you would buy into. I know because I've done it. I've done it. So they built the stadium. They appoint themselves as high priests. It wasn't enough to reclaim. Now, this is the interesting part. It wasn't enough for them to reclaim and cleanse this physical temple that they fought for. They cleansed the temple, but they forgot to cleanse their own hearts. You know that we could, we could, 
And thank God, I want to. I got some good news, man. We found a building. We only been to church for about three, four months. We got a building already. We're about to get it, get the keys Monday or Tuesday. But God save us from having the building and having all the stuff, and building all the stuff, and we forget to cleanse our own hearts. We forget to cleanse our own conscience. We forget to let God in and clean our hearts up. God save us from cleaning walls up when we forgot to clean our hearts up, right? Save us from that. And so thank God we got this opportunity. We got this building. We're about to blow the city's mind what we're going to do over here. Not for vainglory, not for hype, but for what God's going to do. We're going to blow their mind. Mark my words. We're going to blow their mind. But they forgot to cleanse their hearts and minds. Jesus said there's a day come. So Jesus steps onto the scene. He comes into the world right after all this stuff happens. And he says to the people, there's a day coming and has now come that God is no longer dwelling in physical buildings alone, but he's dwelling in the human heart and the human spirit. Not only is my word going to be written on stone tablets, but it's going to be written on human hearts. There's coming a day when the temple is not going to be just a building, but it's going to be people. And that's the day, ladies and gentlemen, that we're living in today, that God's spirit is no longer coming co-opted into just buildings. God's spirit is co-opted into the heart and soul of human beings everywhere all over the place. And you know what that tells me? If we have that same spirit, if we are now that temple, the temple is no longer standing. The temple is no longer stationary, but the temple can move. The temple can talk. The temple can walk. The temple can carry some food up three flights of stairs to one of our friends who sprained her ankle. You see the power in this? Jesus cannot be contained in this little building, and he can not be contained in that building we're going to get down on high street god is so much bigger than that and god save us from a small narrow view of who he is that we just have to be with these people during this time you know what i mean the music's got to be playing you know lights perfect minor chords right god's bigger than all that he's bigger than all that some trust in chariots and horses but we will remember the name of the lord our god We will remember the name of the Lord our God. I'm going to break this into two, and I'll do the rest uh, next week. I'm going to share this last thought. Palm branches. So during this time, the temple's restored. They, they fall back. They build this other stuff. Then here comes Jesus. He steps on the scene. And during this time, and even before Jesus walked this earth, the Jewish people would do something uh, called waving palm branches. This happened before Jesus ever walked the earth. They would take, go to a palm tree, they would cut off a branch, and they would wave that uh, palm tree, and they would, they would say things, they would sing songs. And that palm branch, it was symbolic, like even before Jesus ever walked the earth. It was symbolic, and they would sing these prayers, God save us, God provide healing for our land, God send the rain, because in that time you didn't just go to Kroger and get your, you know what I mean, your Lunchable, whatever you're eating this afternoon. I mean, hopefully no one's here eating a Lunchable. We're a little old for that. Some of you guys might still be kids inside. Do you ever feel like a kid inside? I look at myself in the mirror. I'm thinking, man, I'm still that little derelict 16-year-old kid. But yeah, anyhow, right? And so during that time, they had to pray for God to send rain, right? And so if it didn't rain, your crops didn't grow. You didn't have anything to eat. And so they, had, they literally had to rely on God for everything. And do I want to still live in poverty? No. Do I want to still live back in the ghetto? No. But I thank God for experiencing that stuff as a kid because we learned what it was like to have to trust God and rely on God for everything. I didn't know it at the time, but my, you talk to my mother, she, she'll tell you stories of she didn't know how she was going to get us Christmas presents. And an envelope, right, would show up to the house with, with money in it. Like, 
where did this come from? Like, like in the same way, like these people relied on God and they would wave these palm branches. Lord, send the rain. Lord, save us from our enemies, which was the Roman government and the Roman Empire at the time. Lord, save us from our enemies. So they would wave these palm branches and they would say, one, make sure it rains. Make sure the crops grow. Uh, and it symbolized provide the rain. Next, they would wave them. And it, it was also symbolic of we need spiritual freedom. So when these Jews would, would wave these palm branches, again, before Jesus was born and even after he came to this earth, we need spiritual freedom. And lastly, they would wave these palm branches. And it was a symbol of saying, God, only you can provide political freedom. So let me just say this and let me close with this. No one man, and I would say this during our last election, the election before, the election before. I'm not that old, but I can go back a little bit. No matter how far you take this thing back, no one man will ever bring complete political freedom. Can I just say that? No one man, no Democrat, no Republican, no policy, no law, no Congress, no Senate will save us and bring us true freedom. Can we just say that? Can we just acknowledge that regardless of where everybody is on the political spectrum, this isn't some political rant, but, but we want to we wanna recenter and reorient our lives around Jesus. No one party can save us. And my question to you and my question to me today is who are you trusting in to provide your rain? Rain for us in 2018 is something different. It might be your job. Some of you guys are struggling with employment situations. Are you trusting in the government? Are you trusting in an employer? Or have you placed your trust in Jesus, right? Maybe you've lost your job. We've got a lot of people in here that have been homeless. Some of you guys are just coming out of that stuff. Are you trusting in somebody else or are you trusting in God? Who are we waiting on for spiritual freedom? Is it on some spiritual guru or some somebody, some esoteric, like existential, like vague idea? Or are we trusting in the one true God that can put us all back together? Who are we trusting for our political freedom today? Where's your faith? Where's your trust? Who are you trusting for freedom, for salvation? The gospel of Jesus is very political, but he is not loyal to any one party. Oftentimes, and listen to me, oftentimes the way of Jesus stands in direct opposition to both the Republican and Democratic Party. It really, truly does. Maybe not all the time, but oftentimes. His kingdom and his party transcends all of that. And what I believe God's looking for, especially in this area, because I'm not from here, so I can see things a little objective, especially in this divisive area, the racial tension, all that type of stuff going on here, the political tension, the vomit you see people spewing online about all this stuff. Like God's looking for a people that will be the third option. You know what? Yes, I have these certain beliefs about this issue or that issue, but I'm not going to demonize somebody that doesn't, right? God transcends all that. There's coming a day. Now, this is this is when I was studying this and reading this and thinking about the temple and, and them, them putting it back together and then failing. When Why did they fail? Because they're humans, right? Can we just admit sometimes we fail at stuff? There's coming a day where the God, you can start whenever you want, where the God of heaven, listen to me, there's coming a day where the God of heaven, Jesus Christ, the king himself, will mount a white horse and he will overthrow every president, every dictator, every single one, not just those over there, but those over here. Jesus is going to overthrow 
all authority. There's coming a day where it says all authority is going to be placed under the feet of Jesus. Jesus is going to overthrow it all. He's going to overthrow every form of violence. It says in the book of Revelations and in the, in the prophet Isaiah talks about the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. We're going to take our weapons and we're going to make garden tools out of them. Like Jesus is the only one that can put us back together. And I believe even if the small group of people here can get that, that hey man, there's nobody that's going to put me together like Jesus. Does it mean these issues are not important? No. Does it mean I shouldn't care about this? No. Does it mean I shouldn't vote. That's your own conviction. But no, man, no one's going to put the world back together like Jesus. The city director of Hamilton, Spooky Nook, is not going to put back the city of Hamilton. Jesus is the only one that can put it back together. We keep waiting and thinking that one of our leaders is going to provide this utopia and they're feeding us all of these lies and propaganda, the promise of these things, and it never happens and it never will happen until the real king comes. In order for us to be free, there needs to be a rebellion. And in order for there to be rebellion, there, we need to first realize that something is wrong. And not just something out there, but there's something wrong in Patrick right here. What have you allowed in your temple? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes with that. What have you allowed? If you are the temple and I am the temple, what have we allowed into our temple? What have we allowed into our heart? Jesus said that you and I... We're like the living temple of God. What have I allowed into my temple? Have I allowed the media and theater to drag all kinds of different defilement through my temple? Is my candle and light beginning to grow dim? Have we in this country allowed the spirit of violence and death flow through our land? There's been more death and murder in the 20th and 21st century than all other centuries put together. Jesus save us, even with all of our technology, science, and knowledge. The world seems like it's falling apart. Thank you, God, that you have come to restore the temple. Lord, has my walk become more about me than you? What have I allowed into my temple? And just in your own voice, in your own way, talk to God. Take this time to connect with him, speak to him. Have I brought into my, have I bought into the lie that being a Christian is all about me? Serve me, feed me, what can you do for me? I want it this way, I want it that way. Is it the worship of self? God, save me, Jesus. Save me from that. Save me from a selfish Christianity. I thank you, God, that you are the guardian candle. You are the guardian candle. And for those of us in this room, that our lights have grown dim for those of us in this room that are struggling for those of us in this room that feel weary and weak and we feel like our light is growing dim i thank you god that even though we can't light our own light i thank you that there is a servant there is a suffering servant who stands in the middle of it all there's a there's a candle that stands in the middle of it all and he's brighter than everything around us there's no darkness that could drive him out i thank you jesus that you are the suffering servant you are the guardian candle in the middle and only you can bring light to our hearts. Only you can bring light to our relationships. Only you can bring hope to our situations. And so Jesus, we ask in the name of Jesus, would you light us again? Would you take that flame of God, that spirit of God, and would you touch us and would you ignite us and would you do something deep within us, something so bright and powerful that can't be contained in this building on a Sunday morning? 
God, would, it, would you light a fire in us that would be would be uh, contagious, that everywhere we go, every person we touch, every conversation we have out in society, it's like we're lighting a little fire inside that person. I thank you that the movement of God, the Spirit of God, and the death and resurrection of Jesus, it has the ability to do what politicians can't do. It has the ability to do what human strength can't do. It has the ability to do what other uh, principalities and powers can't do. And so Jesus, we pray for the future of the French church. We pray as we step into this building, God, would you do something that even we can't do? Would you blow the minds of these city officials that want to push us to the outside, that don't want to see those people that we're working with downtown? Would you do something to blow all their minds, God? And not just not just for revenge, but to show them that you are real and that you exist and that you can take anybody's life. You can take the life of the heroin addict, the ex-convict, the criminal, the drug dealer, the prostitute, the streetwalker. God, those who are enslaved by materialism, those who are enslaved by all these different ideologies that have poisoned their mind, would you show the city of Hamilton that anybody's life can be put back together? And that is so much more beautiful than a freshly painted building and some new brick street and a sports complex. God, save us from having our priorities out of whack. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen.